And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Well, if you're a child ages four through first grade, you can be dismissed now for Children's Church, and they'll come back to us at the end of the service during our closing song. Thank you, Luke, for, for sharing uh, that, your testimony, your story with us. Luke was baptized here in our church in September, and uh, he is a testimony to the Lord's grace and faithfulness. And so, Luke, thank you for sharing that with us. Well, the past two weeks, as we have begun our series in the Ten Commandments, we've studied the first two commandments. And these commandments are about huge bedrock realities in our lives. So worship only the true God, the first commandment. And the second commandment, don't change the true God. These two commandments deal with what is at the very center of our lives, what we believe most foundationally about God that affects every part of us. And then we come to the third commandment. And as maybe you heard it read, although Luke's testimony kind of offended this understanding off, you might think, though, don't use God's name as a cuss word. Like, really? Like after we have these huge two foundational commandments, we come to the third, and it means don't use God's name to cuss. And we can easily breeze right by this command if we understand it that way. Either thinking, okay, I don't do that, let's move on. Or, okay, maybe, I've, maybe I do that a few times, I'll just, I'll just, this is a good reminder, I'll try to not do that again in the future. But last week, at the end of Pastor Benjamin's sermon, looking forward to this week, he said that this commandment is often the least understood of them all and the most trivialized of them all. And I would wholeheartedly agree with that. When we shrink this commandment down just to mean watch your OMGs and be sincere when you put your hand on a Bible and swear God's name in court, it's like reducing a bowl of glorious mint chocolate chip ice cream down to just one chocolate chip. God has so much more for us in this commandment that is for our good and that ultimately is a blessing for us this morning. This commandment I'm going to argue this morning, stands right up there alongside the first two in terms of its life-altering, stabilizing importance. And my hope this morning is that through studying this commandment, we would embrace all of who God is for all of our life. Would you pray with me as we begin our time in God's word this morning? Father, we come to you and we confess that there are large swaths of our heart and life that do not truly belong to you, that are not truly surrendered to you. We pray that by your word this morning that you would show us the areas of our life that we have not given over to you. Claim us, Lord, this morning more than you have before. And may we come to understand more and more this morning how our lives exist for the honor and fame of your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. We're going to study this commandment this morning under three headings. So we're going to look first at what what the meaning of this commandment is, 
and then the cost involved in the commandment, and finally the blessing for us in this commandment. So what does this commandment mean? What does it cost us? And what is the blessing for us in it? So first, let's look at the meaning of it. So if the commandment doesn't just mean watch your mouth when you talk about God, what does it mean? Well, let's turn again to Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, and let's read the commandment from the text of Scripture and remind ourselves of it. It says there in Exodus 20, verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, before we talk about any other part of that commandment, what does God mean when he refers to his name? Some of you may be familiar with this already, but when we read the word LORD, all caps in the Old Testament, the, the translators of the Bible are trying to signal to us that God's personal name, Yahweh, is being used. Back in Exodus chapter 3, and then again in Exodus chapter 6, God gives to his people, Israel, his own personal name, signifying their special relationship to him. And God's name represents the fullness of who he has revealed himself to be, the content of how he has self-disclosed himself to us. In short, his name means I am, the one who needs no one, but yet the one who at the same time loves his people and in love and mercy comes down to reveal himself and relate to his people. Yahweh entrusts Israel with his name and says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And when God enters into this relationship with his people, Israel, he puts his divine name upon them. Think of a cow being branded to show which ranch it belongs to. So in Numbers chapter 6, right, a passage we often use as, as the blessing at the end of our worship service, Moses instructs Aaron from the Lord on how the priests are to bless the people of Israel. And so this is what it says in, in Numbers chapter 6. These words will probably sound familiar to you. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. What a blessing. But then this is the part we don't often read. Verse 27. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. You see, in this glorious blessing that God has the priests speak over his people, Yahweh gets out his branding iron and marks the people with his own name. But for the people, that mark, is, it comes with it the immense blessing of belonging to Yahweh, of knowing his character, his name. But with this blessing, this intimacy of relationship with God, comes great responsibility. So let's return to that word at the very beginning of the commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So I, I just want us to notice something right off the, off the bat here with this commandment and that word in particular. It doesn't mention speech one time. 
It's interesting that we inherently think that this commandment in this word is about speech, but the word take does not inherently mean, have anything to do with our speaking necessarily or exclusively. That, that word take there can actually be translated, and I think is better translated given the general fog around what this commandment specifically means as carry or to lift up or to bear. So the commandment would read, you shall not bear the name of Yahweh your God in vain. Now that's interesting. Considering that God speaks of himself as impressing the, his name upon the people. So to bear the name of Yahweh meant that in their actions, Israel was called to represent the character of God, the name of God to the world. So think of the young man or young woman who joins the United States Marine Corps. When they take upon themselves the name of the Marines, and even larger, the name of the United States, their actions no longer just represent themselves. Their actions represent a name that is greater than theirs. Their, their actions represent the reputation of not just the Marines, but of the United States. And so it is with Israel and God's name. Israel was given this intimate, special privilege of knowing God by name. But with this privilege comes a great responsibility that their words and actions impact not only their own reputation, but the name and reputation of their God. And way back in, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, when God called Abraham, the father of the Israelite nation, when God came to him and spoke to him, this is what God promised him. This is Genesis chapter 12, verse two. God says to Abraham, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Abraham is blessed by God so that he will be a blessing. The people of Israel, the children of Abraham, carry that on. These people, as we find them at Sinai, have been blessed by God in that he has set them free from slavery in Egypt. He's revealed his name and character to them. He's called them to himself. He calls them in chapter 19 his treasured possession. They've been brought into the blessing of relationship with Yahweh their God so that they will be a blessing so that their conduct, their life together as a people, as a holy nation would show the world that God is real and that God is good. God's people were not to take the name of Yahweh in vain by running it through the mud with their conduct. That would not be to treat the name of God with the reality that it deserves. Taking the name of the Lord in vain is like treating an engagement ring like a, a ring pop. And, and to state this command in, in the positive, we've been saying a lot of negatives of what they weren't supposed to do. To state this in the positive, Israel was to live in such a way that made belief in Yahweh their God plausible to the surrounding nations. By the way that they lived together, they were to showcase the fact that God is real. 
They were to live as Jesus taught us to pray so that God's name would be hallowed. It would be lifted up and praised and exalted. And to try to help bring the meaning of this commandment to us as the church in the modern world, I don't think I have to say a whole lot. It's pretty self-explanatory. But let me just say this, to drill down to the most concrete level. The name Christian means something. When you and I call ourselves Christians, we are taking the name of Jesus Christ, who is, as Hebrews 1 says, the full revelation of God, like we saw last week, the exact imprint of his nature. And we are taking that name upon ourselves. let's, Let's think about this alongside of the second commandment for a second. I think it'll be helpful to us. So last week, Benjamin helpfully summarized the second commandment with with this phrase. What we do, what we're prohibited in doing in the second commandment is taking the real God, taking Jesus, and changing him by making him into a physical image or a mental image that we then use to worship him. So second commandment prohibits, don't take the real God and change him. But what's prohibited in the third commandment is keeping the real God, right? So saying that you believe God, who he says he is, as he's revealed himself to be, that's not changed. You keep the real God, but you don't let him change you. That's what's prohibited in the third commandment. To to break the third commandment is to stand under an orthodox doctrinal statement It's to be a member at a Bible-believing and preaching church, but to not have your life reflect the reality of what you claim to believe. Paul says in Titus chapter 1, verse 16, of some of the people in Crete where he is writing that letter to, that they profess to know God, but they deny him with their works. Or hear what Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verses 20. 2 to 24, he's talking to the Jewish people here. He says, you who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Because of their conduct, the name of God was blasphemed among the Gentiles. So the meaning of the third commandment, I think, can be summed up with this one question for us in our lives right now. Do you and I live and speak in such a way that says God is real, Jesus is king, and we belong to him? Do we live and speak in such a way that says God is real, Jesus is king, and we belong to him? Now, to some of you here this morning, that statement might be jarring. Because if you're honest with yourself, you might look and say, I I maybe call myself a Christian, but that's not what my life looks like. And if that's so, if you're jarred by that statement, then that's great news. Because that means God's ready to work in your life. But there's some of us this morning who hear that statement and we're not jarred and we should be. 
So ask yourself these questions. Let's, I just want to slow down for a second, and let's really sit on that. So ask yourself these questions. Do my relationships reflect the fact that God is real, that Jesus is king, and that I belong to him? Does the way I handle conflict reflect that God is real, Jesus is king, and I belong to him? Does my sexuality reflect that God is real, Jesus is king, and I belong to him? Does my generosity reflect that? Does my evangelism reflect that, like Luke was talking about in his testimony? Does my church attendance and involvement in the people of God reflect that? Does my political rhetoric reflect that? Does my care for the widow and orphan reflect that? Church, Jesus is not content to be stuffed in a box and shoved to the corner of your life only for you to get him out whenever you want to, whenever it's convenient for you to claim his name. If you are a Christian, If you claim the name of Christ, that means that God has redeemed you. He has named you. He wants more of you today than you are giving to him. He wants more of me today than I'm giving to him. And that's good news for us. Because that means there's an opportunity to grow and to change. But you see, this is where we get to the real rub, the real cost of this commandment. The third commandment reveals to us one of the deepest principles of Christianity. That you and I must die to our own desires. So to return to our military example that that we talked about earlier. when, 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 When I bear the name of the United States Marine Corps, if I were to enlist or sign up to be an officer and go through school and training, when I take that name, I cannot continue to do whatever I want. So to truly call myself a Marine, I must bend my will to the will of the United States Marine Corps. I have to shave my head and go through training and wake up whenever my officers say so, as many times in the night as they say so. I can't just continue to sit on my couch and watch Netflix and eat potato chips and then pop in on a briefing or drill once a week and say, okay, I'm a Marine. To take the name means that my life and my desires must die to a higher power than myself. And until my desires die to the United States Marine Corps, I bear the name of the Marines in vain. Do you see where this is going? And this is part of the offense of the message of Christianity, especially in a world like ours today, this message is so offensive because we all want to name and define ourselves. We all want to say, I am who I say I am. The cultural narrative goes something like this. Nobody has the right to define who you are except for you. And as much as we might, if you're a Christian here today, say, well, that's not true. I think that's I think that's baked into us more than we realize. We may take the name Christian to ourselves, but in reality, we get to define what that means for us, kind of like an a la carte menu. But you see, what it means for God to reveal and place his name on his people is that he is the one who defines us. 
He is the one who names us. He owns us. We are who he says we are. Theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said that when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Jesus is a higher power than the United States Marine Corps. Jesus is not just a governing body. Jesus is a king. Jesus is Lord. To to have him come into your life, to claim to be a Christian, to bear his name in the world, means that you cannot continue to go on doing whatever you want. Your agenda cannot continue to reign supreme because you claim to live under a higher power than yourself. It's no coincidence that in the Lord's Prayer, the phrase, hallowed be your name, is directly followed by the phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, when we read the commandment earlier, you may have wondered why there's such a strong curse attached to breaking it. This was one of my main questions that I tried to ask of this commandment as I approached it this week. But I think this understanding of there being cost involved in taking the name helps us to understand it a little bit more. So let me read that commandment again for us so it's fresh in our mind. It says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And for the longest time this week, I I could not get at why that curse is attached to this commandment and not any of the other ones. Why why this one? What's, What's it trying to say? What is the Lord trying to say through this? But I think the more we think about it, the more it makes complete sense. Taking the name of God in vain, right? So so keeping the real God in name only, but not letting him change you is a direct assault against his lordship and his supremacy. To call yourself a Christian without bending your desires to Christ's is to claim the blessings of relationship with God as your own without any of the sacrifice involved. In a sense, it's to set up God as a figurehead, as like a puppet monarch who is ruling in your life on your behalf. In effect, to do this, to take the Lord's name in vain, is to set yourself up as God. And here we are, back at the foundation of all the other commandments, the first commandment. But this is where the real rub of this commandment is. is We are are fine with the real God. We're fine to identify ourselves with the real God as long as he follows our agenda. And when we don't embrace the cost of bearing the name of the true God, when we say that we are Christians but don't live like that, don't submit our will to his, but rather use him for our own agenda, terrible things can happen as a result. I hear people often say that that the greatest threat to the gospel in our generation is blank. You you fill in the blank. That's a common phrase, at least as a pastor that I hear. And, And I know what they mean when they say that. I know what they're trying to communicate. But I just want to be clear about something this morning. There is no real threat to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that the gates of hell 
would not stand against his church and his gospel. He's in charge. He has won. He will win. We have the book of Revelation to prove it. But I think we, we can talk about threats to the witness or the clarity of the gospel in a given generation. And so let me be clear about this with us this morning. I think this is something that we are in grave danger of. So please hear me. This commandment teaches us that the greatest threat to the clarity and witness of the gospel in this generation and every generation is not some sort of secular theory. It's not Darwinism from the 1800s or gender theory today. It's not socialism. It's not society's corroding sexual ethics. The greatest threat to the clarity and witness of the gospel is the church taking the Lord's name in vain. The greatest threat to the clarity of the gospel is not out there. It is in here. More specifically, it is in here. It is us all claiming the name of Christ without lives to back up what we say and to give validity and weight and reality to the fact that he is king. And in our day, I think we're experiencing some of this. Most of the arguments, I was just talking with a few friends the other day about this. Most of the arguments leveled against Christianity today have to do with the ways in which Christians have broken this commandment throughout history and in the present. So how, how can a religion that defended the slaughter of innocent people in the Crusades or that justified the kidnapping and enslaving of Africans or those who enabled many powerful leaders within their own ranks to prey on young men and women, how can a religion like that be true? Or, or to put it in the present, an, ar an argument that I hear from people oftentimes, is how can a religion whose followers so baldly and blatantly pursue political power be good and true? In other words, if so many followers of Jesus look nothing like Jesus, and in fact have used the name of Jesus to push their own agenda in the world, why should I want to follow Jesus? Most people who question Christianity today, especially those within the ranks of Christianity who, who feel the pull to leave and end up leaving, have been directly hurt by Christians taking the name of the Lord in vain. And so if you're here this morning and you're asking those types of questions of Christianity and the church, I just want to say that you have every right to do so. We, the, those questions that you ask are a grace to us because they reveal to us the ways in which we don't measure up. And let me say this to the Christians in the room this morning, the majority of us here today. We need to be quick to agree when people critique the church rightly on where she has sinned and is sinning. There is no need for us to save face or be defensive, right? Jesus does not need us to defend his honor. 
Part of honoring his name in the present age is being a church that is quick to acknowledge the sins of the past and present and double down in repentance to live differently in front of a watching world. That's what it means to bear the name of God in reality, not in vain. And church, we believe that all people are sinners, even those in our own ranks. We believe that when people put their own wills above the will of God, they can do horrible things in his name. We can handle this type of honesty. We don't have to get defensive. And so even as people bring their objections and questions, may we be a place that honors the Lord's name in the way that we deal with those, the way that we posture ourselves towards a watching, a watching world. Well, finally, we come to the blessing that's found for us in this commandment. And although I've trickled this in throughout the sermon, I don't think it's been explicit. So let me make this explicit as we close. The, the blessing that's found for us in this commandment is that it wakes us up to who God truly is and what we've been called into as people that bear the name of God. It's, often for, it's, it's oftentimes the case in life that we use expressions or phrases, but we don't really realize the meaning of them. There are a lot of expressions in life that we use all the time that we don't really understand how weighty it is what we're saying. Simply put, one of them is life is hard. We can say that all the time. Maybe even flippantly we say life is hard whenever, you know, I don't know, something doesn't go well or you spill coffee on yourself or something like that. But then when life is really hard, when you're going through something and you don't feel like you can go on for another day and you utter the words, life is hard, the reality just sits on you. You're like, oh, life is hard. I've said this my whole life, and I didn't realize it the way that I did until right now. Church, this command wakes us up to the reality of what it means when we claim the name Christian. And that's a blessing to us. It wakes us up to that because it shows us ultimately, first and foremost, the character of our God. And the only way to get the knowledge of the real God down into your heart, to, to wake up to what you claim to be true, is to look to Jesus, who bore the name of God himself. You see, God doesn't, bear, God doesn't command us to bear the cost of his name without himself experience, experiencing the cost of bearing that name. Jesus Christ perfectly bore the name of God in his life. He represented what a human life lived for God's honor and name ought to look like. He was no stranger to the cost of submitting himself to his father's will, even to the point of him sweating drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane as he prayed, not my will, Father, but yours be done. Jesus shows us that to bear the name of God means to bear the cross, to submit ourselves to God. Jesus revealed the name of God 
the, the full content of his beautiful character as he suffered on the cross, bearing our guilt and our curse, pouring himself out in self-sacrificial love. And when we hear this commandment, and when we think about the one who bore the name of God for us, it reminds us of who he truly is. It reminds us that Yahweh, I am, the God who is forever blessed and happy and joyous in and of himself, the same God who pummeled Pharaoh and the false gods of Egypt and freed his people from slavery, that same God embraced great cost to come to earth and pour out his blessing on those who abused and misrepresented his name. And he blesses us in order to be a blessing. And as we bear the name of Christ and the cross along with it, out of love for God, we experience the blessing of real, intimate fellowship with God. We experience what it is really like to be a Christian who relates to God. The third commandment is a blessing to us because it reminds us of God's character and our calling. This commandment is the antidote for a drowsy, domesticated Christian life. God wants so much more for you and I than a Christianity in name only. God wants us to experience his shining face of blessing as we submit ourselves to his will for the sake of the world. And so the question for us this morning is, will we give up our puny visions for our lives and live in such a way that says God is real, Jesus is king, and we belong to him? Well, next week, Pastor David is going to be continuing this series by teaching on the fourth commandment. And if you're exhausted and worn out, if you're distressed and worried and constantly busy, God cares about you. Not just in your soul, not just in a spiritual part of you, but right now in your physical body, God cares about you. And if you want to hear more about that, come back next week. I'll be here excited to hear David preach. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have set your name upon us, that in your grace you have blessed us, you have made your face to shine upon us and been gracious to us. And Lord, as those who have received that blessing, may we be those who bear the name of God truly, that says about you what you are worth. Father, I pray that you would shake our lives where they need to be shook, that you would reveal to us the parts of our lives where we are not submitting to your will. And Father, that we would open ourselves up to allowing the real God to change us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.